This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fer Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Fer Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got another great guest for you today. This guest has been in the industry for several years, is well-versed in operations, infill, and all kinds of stuff. We're going to hear tips and tricks from my friend here, Bryce McMurray. Bryce, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it, Fer. Thanks for having me. You got it. Well, tell us a little bit more about your background. Obviously, I know you and know some of your story, but for those that don't know you, tell us how you got in this space, because it's obviously uh, not a common career path, but uh, somehow we both ended up here. Absolutely. Uh, good place to be. Um, <laughs> yep. but, uh, so let's see, I started um, in the military, um, you know, did the ROTC thing in college and then um, did, did 20 years in the Army and was in uh, special operations and um, met some some really good folks and uh, and those guys um, you know uh, 12 13 years later are still my business partners um, and so uh, we started investing together uh, back in 2009 I think you know kind of the economy had had uh, bottomed out there and so we started uh, buying you know various assets and and then um, 2017 went checked out the Frank and Dave show right so <laughs> everybody's done that yep uh, they're a great resource for information. And uh, so did that and then started buying parks. And um, so right now we're under contract on number uh, 11 and uh, just over the thousand space mark. Um, our niche is the, um, you know, the value add asset. So uh, we have a construction team um, and we, uh, we go in and, and, and do the turnaround on them. So flipped houses for a few while, few years in there, uh, licensed contractor builder. So um, that's kind of our, uh, our specialty. That's great. So obviously as, as a contractor, you've got advantages over guys like me that can barely use a basic hand drill, but, um, how, how do you, how do you, how do you capitalize on that? You know, with your ability to understand a construction project, you have any tips for the rest of us on finding crews and, and when do you, when do you decide to use a, I would say, or Frank would say, even, you know, pro versus schmo, obviously the more stuff you do in house, the cheaper it is. Um, but it's, you got to manage it. You got to manage the crew and you got all the insurance and all the documents versus you hire, you know, Anthony's plumbing. Yeah. You know, he does it for you, but he costs $150 an hour. Um, so how do you make that and make that decision and what tips you have for the rest of us? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it's a tough question, uh, kind of a, a tough nut to crack there. Um, you know, just in, in, in full honesty, you know, if, if construction isn't your thing, I sure would not try to make it your thing. Uh, so, uh, cause I, wish, I wish you, I wish I'd have met you five years ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, in any facet of construction, when you're picking up a project that somebody else has built or somebody else has done work on, um, you know, there's, there's so many unknowns. And so, you know, you really got to budget, 
um, you, you got to dive into it. You got to do that good due diligence, you know, and you've got a lot of, of, of uh, podcasts out there about doing great due diligence. So that's incredibly important. Um, but then you got to set reserves aside because there's going to be items that are just not going to be caught in the due diligence. Um, and then, you know, there's so much of the construction is just um, it's experience, you know, um, getting in there, getting your hands dirty. Uh, don't be the guy that's just hanging out in the office, go on site, walk the property, talk personally to all the contractors, pick their brains, you know, don't tell them your life story, find out every piece of information that you can from them, um, you know, kind of learn their trades as much as possible. And then I think it comes with experience. So um, we go for projects that are, that are, like I said, they're major uh, heavy lifts, you know, so, um, you know, we got, a, we got a project right now that we're planning on adding a hundred sites to, I mean, that's a lot, right? So uh, adding the infrastructure as well, or infilling existing sites. Yeah. So let's see, there will be, um, there's about 40 homes that we'll add into existing sites. Um, and then we'll add another 60 sites of, uh, of uh, completely new infrastructure. And so, and we have, you know, skid steers and tractors and, you know, um, you know, boom trucks and all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, when you buy all equipment, there's a cost in doing that. Right. And so, you know, and, and then, <laughs> you know, everybody's met, you know, the Joe and the Schmo when it comes to construction, finding somebody, and, and, and good contractors are not cheap, you know, and so we have guys that are on the payroll and that's, you know, that's their full-time job is to run those construction crews. And, um, you know, the construction uh, world, it's a different world. I mean, you know, guys, you know, are here one day, gone the next, and um, it requires a lot of management, man. So, um, but that's kind of, our, that's, we've, that's where our value adds, you know, we, we look for the asset that other people are like, oh my God, burn it down. So, uh, well, that's yeah, good. It's a, it's a good strategy if you can manage them, right? If you get the confidence to do it, because you're gonna you're gonna buy it at a price that is very attractive. It's just you get paid to add value, and you're adding value in this example by uh, overseeing crews and also by adding pad size. And we all know the, the we all know the basic math, you know, of how occupancy impacts the bottom line. I'll give you a, a tip that I know I don't need to give you, but I, I, I there's somebody out there that needs it, um, and I. And the guy I'm thinking of is out of business, but I bought a park from a guy and it was 92, 93 spaces. And there was two acres for expansion. There was about 22 occupied lots. And rather than infill those, the guy spent a million dollars to run new plumbing, new, new water sewer, electric and gas, put in all new pedestals, 200 amp to expand the park. Wow. before he infilled the rest of it and where wow. he go where he goofed is he put the new pedestals all really close together and the Ooh. city came the city came by and said those are pretty close together for mobile homes he goes oh we're doing we're gonna do rvs down here and he said and the city said we don't allow rvs and he looks at his partner and said you got the permits right i thought you had the permits <laughs> they, they put all that infrastructure in and it's still sitting there to this day. The city won't let me use it. I, I, I can't use it. I got the park 100% full now, but I, yeah. but I have the expansion area that I can't use. So I'm actually cutting the pedestals off that are in concrete and taking them to a different park and reuse them in a different park. But it's like there's value add and then there's 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 wishing upon a star. And, and these guys were doing doing the latter. But um, yeah, so make sure you can do stuff in the right right order. Um, you know, you bring up, I just want to segue off something what you just said, like you brought up a really, really good point. Um, and that's that, um, what is that? There's kind of like an old adage about it's, uh, it's, you know, people don't fail. They fail to plan is, um, instead of planning. It's, yeah. 
it's, it's, they don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. There you go. Exactly. So go buy, you know, go, go get a civil engineer and lay out that property. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to cost you five grand or 10 grand for an engineer or whatever to have them lay out, whatever it is, you know, even if it's 15 or 20, it is a hell of a lot cheaper to sketch it out on a piece of paper than it is to go and put it in, in the ground. And so, man, just like, yeah. you know, like 101 right there, you know, but like a lot of times guys are like, oh, I don't want to spend the extra 20K to get my construction drawings or whatever. And like, that's just, I mean, that's the best money you will spend because you, know, you put in, you know, just one site alone. Right. I mean, so, I mean, I think they say the average cost for building the sites like 15K or something like that. So, I yeah, mean, at least just, um, plan it out ahead of time and pay somebody to have the actual drawings put together. So. No, good. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, and, and we have that happen a lot at the law firm where people are like, oh, I just, I did the contract without you because it was, you guys are more expensive than me doing it myself, but I want you to do now, I want you to do the zoning or I want you to do the closing. It's like, okay, well, you really should have paid for the, us to do the contract and here's why. And it's the same thing with an engineer. Like nobody's dumb enough to do their own phase one. I think they just, they're dumb enough to not do a phase one. But, you know, and you're talking about construction docs. That's why I advocate on here. You know, when I ask you to ask somebody, hey, you should hire a lawyer. Okay, that's like the barber telling you to get a haircut. I get it, right? But I'll also tell you, get an Alta survey. And, yeah. I, and I'm not a surveyor. So none of that money is coming to me, right? right? Don't get a boundary survey. Save your two grand. Spend four or five and get the Alta survey with the easements on them. And then sometimes you get the full table A with the yeah. elevations and you know topography, locations and, and stuff of homes, the sizes yep. of homes, parking count. Sometimes you need that. And if you're going to do an expansion, pay for the survey, right? Um, and I don't like paying, you know, paying for surveys either, right? They're um, they're not cheap, right? But and I just, I mean, same with the inspector. I just paid forty seven hundred the other day on a um, lagoon and well inspection, and yeah. uh, it failed. So yeah. I killed, I killed the deal, wow. but, but I, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to do it myself. Right. I don't know how to do that stuff. So we hire you know, experts like Philip Merrill, you know, who, who's been on this podcast. You can tell from in a half an hour, he knows more about that than any of the rest of us. So pay the, pay the pro. Right. So where, where I have a struggle with the, on the struggle, so to speak is on the construction is there, there seems that we always find there's some benefit in having some guys on your own crew. Even if I'm not a contractor to oversee them, it's just the availability of somebody a full time and the the hourly rate of somebody full time. You can pay eighteen to twenty five dollars an hour. They don't have to do two hundred dollar an hour work all the time. Yeah, know? I had a guy uh, in an apartment that we had, uh, um, and he, you know, uh, our normal plumber handyman guy wasn't available. Actually, we had like three or four of them, and and it just happened to be one of those rare occasions when all of those guys were, you know, either out sick or, you know, one guy's on vacation and then another guy, um, there's two other guys are tied up on other projects. So, so we had to call the local plumbing company to go out there and go fix it. I mean, it was a pinhole leak. So literally all they did was cut the line and put a coupling on it. $385 took like maybe 10 minutes at oh. most. Like 385 bucks. I mean, just robbery. Now, and, and to your point, like, you know, we have those guys on staff that like we could have set any number of people out there to go fix it. Um, and it's it's an easy fix. And, and so we keep those and it would have probably cost us, you know, I don't know, 50 bucks, maybe at most, you know, 20 bucks an hour. I mean, you know, as so we run to the store and to the, you know, hardware store and pick up a coupling or whatever. I mean, 20, somewhere between 20 to 50 bucks to fix that item. Um, instead, we paid 385. So, yeah. Absolutely. You got to have, and, and here's the other thing. When you got guys that are like that, that are those handyman guys, 
don't be trying to pay that guy like 10 bucks an hour. Oh. Like that, yeah, that yeah. advice right there is worth the episode. Yeah. Like don't be yeah. cheap. You know, like what do they pigs get fed? Hogs get slaughtered. It's like, that's right. you, you get somebody good, pay them fair because it's yeah. replacing him is such a pain. We had a guy, this guy named Marty, we had for, he worked for us for several years, eventually kind of got sideways for other reasons. And he's not with us anymore, but we, we, to me, the life-changing moment was when you had enough work that you could pay a guy full-time where yes. I was just doing single family and duplex. It's like, Oh, I need a guy here and there. I couldn't keep a guy full-time busy. So sometimes you're like, Oh, you're in a pinch. So eventually we started doing mobile homes and we had this guy, Marty, but he'd work as many hours as we let him. So he'd work 60 hours. Well, then we'd, he'd finish a home. We're like, Oh, Hey Marty, the next home's not going to be here for two weeks. Yeah. Well, then we had nothing for him to do. So then he right. goes and gets a job on a roof, just for take a roofing job out of town. Well, then a pipe breaks. We call him yeah. like he normally be over there 10 o'clock at night. We call him. Hey, can you fix the pipe? He's like, oh, I'm in Texas for 10 days. Yeah. Like what? We're paying him $18 an hour. And now we got to spend $400 to get this thing fixed. That's like, right. okay, never again are we going to let him. So we told him from now on, you get 40 hours a week. You can do side jobs nights and weekends. And we will guarantee you 40 a week. And there was a couple of times where we ran out of work and we called another mobile home park, somebody we trusted. And we called this guy and said, look, you got any homes you need to renovate? And he's like, yeah, I go, we got a guy. We'll let you borrow him for a week, but don't pay him more than 18. Right. Right. Okay. And don't, don't poach him. Don't take him. And yeah. if you do that, we'll let you use them. And we let him use them. And it was great. But then right after that, he came back and we never ran out of work again. And we right. needed another guy. So it was like, I literally learned that lesson of, you know, find a good guy. That's right. If you, you know, I just this morning I had a guy that was making 19 and he, uh, he wanted more. So give him 20, you know, give him another dollar. He's, he's good. Like, you know what, That's now that I think about it, we haven't given a raise from 18 to 19. It's been a while and he's still here. And if he's, if he's still here, he must not be horrible. So, just, you know, it's hard to find decent maintenance guys. It is incredibly hard. Uh, it's kind of amazes me that you know, I saw something the other day. Uh, somebody had sent me some, uh, you know, little article about, you know, people working in the trades. And uh, um, I'm, you're, you're going to you're going to hate me for saying this, but we pay more for our plumbers than we do for our attorneys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah, there's a joke there somewhere. There's a, a plumber gives the doctor the bill. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, good grief, $250. That's more than I make. And I'm a doctor. And the plumber says, that's why I quit practicing medicine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly right. That's All right exactly. I'll keep, I'll keep that in mind. You know, it's the end of, it's the first of the month. I got invoices going out soon. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Now we, right. we, we do that. We try to, um, what you said about uh, managing the workload too. That's really important also because, um, you know, when you, when you only have one park, it can be difficult to do that. But if you have a number of parks um, and you can string projects together, I have like a running list of all the projects that need to be done at every property. And so, you know, if we have a guy, we, we once we get a guy that we know is, you know, reliable and, and has a good, you know, versified skill set, handyman, um, you know, we'll move him from, from project to project. Um, and then he'll run over and go fix the water leak here, or turn around this trailer and do a cleanup on that one. And, you know, and then we'll just pull him as he finishes that one. Then just like what you were saying, he'll step back into doing whatever project it was that he was working on before. And, and that helps us and it helps him and, and it keeps the, the, the steady, consistent work going for that guy. And at the end of the day, that's what most of these guys want is, you know, they want to know that, you know, on, on Monday, you've got a week's worth of work for them and you're not going to call them on a Wednesday afternoon and say, Hey, I don't need you anymore for two weeks, you know? And then they're like, how the heck am I going to feed my family? Exactly. So 
by you helping them manage that workload, and that's your responsibility as a manager owner uh, to do that. You know, it keeps it keeps the ship afloat, and it's, the numbers are better for you, and it's good, you know, life quality of life for them. So, uh, agreed. I, I sometimes I'm not out in the field as much as I used to be, but I used to when I would hire maintenance guys or, or construction guys, I would specifically tell them we have inside work. So if it rains, like normally this guy's a painter and does concrete. I go, normally when it rains, you got to mm-hmm. say, honey, I'm sitting home. That's that's fun to get an occasional rain day. You get to sit around and watch TV and drink beer. It happens yep. two days in a row. You're getting nervous. It happens for a week. Yep. Your, your wife's pissed because you don't have grocery money. Said, right. when it rains here, you paint the inside of a mobile home. That's right. Okay. Got we, got, we, got, we got four seasons inside and outside. And and that that is, you're right, because a lot of these guys, you know, they live – month to month or uh what are they page month to paycheck and there's more there's more month left at the end of the paycheck typically and they need a couple more days to so if you can get them every day and that's why we pay we pay them weekly but we've learned to not pay them on friday it's less likely to go to the bar if you pay them on tuesday and they go buy groceries first and they don't spend it all at the end of the week um they've already got groceries in their in the fridge so we learned we learned we learned that don't pay them on friday at five because on Monday, they're like, oh, can I get an advance? My wife's going to kill me because um, I, spent, I spent it all at the casino. <laughs> that's your payday idea there. I, I haven't heard of that before. but uh, Oh, yeah. Not- I mean, we well, used to read two weeks. You read two weeks. By about day 10, the guys yeah. are just clawing at you for their neck. I'm like, guys, you already spent the money. So then we went to weekly. And it's like, okay, then Friday doesn't work. It's, it's real strict. If your paycheck, if your timesheet is not in by Monday at 8 a.m., you're not getting paid. And we used to do a special run. Now like you don't get paid till the following Tuesday. Yeah. It doesn't take many times to lose a week's pay. And we don't stiff them. We just make them wait a week and then yeah. they, they get it. And now we have another tip here. We got them on these com data cards. It automatically is like a prepaid debit. So they get paid virtually because you got guys all over the place. So we don't even give them checks anymore. It just shows up on their debit card and they can take all the cash out once a week at no charge. Yeah. So it's, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. We found also that uh, um, it's, you know, it's funny because my HR lady, you know, she's like, you know, you, you kind of hammer down on them and you got to, you know, hold them, uh, you know, don't give them an inch of, of uh, you know, latitude. And, and I agree, there's definitely a component of that. Um, but you got to keep in mind that it's hard to find guys that are that, you know, will come to work and, and show up every day and, and, and do the right thing. And, you know, just I mean, it's just treat people, you know, well, you got to give a little bit of latitude there and, and, and try to work with them. But obviously, you don't want them to if you give. There's also the other side of that, you know, you give an inch to take a mile kind of thing. So you got to be careful. It's just, you know, knowing people and managing people, but. Um, yeah, I agree. They, that's, yeah, it's agreed. HR and accounting would always be the ones like, don't give them an inch. It's like, yeah, you're not the one that has to find the find and manage the next guy. So yeah, I have one guy that I think I've fired him 35 times, but I haven't told him yet. And I he just he's keep coming back because he pulls a rabbit out of his hat to save something. I'm like, you know what? It's, it is, it is what it is. It's like, you know, Finding good, you know, anybody that can show up five days in a row at 8 a.m. sober yeah. with the truck and tools is making $35 an hour at a big construction company. I can't yeah. pay $35 an hour. So I got to take the, I got to take the guy that occasionally shows up in tennis shoes or the guy that occasionally has a truck that doesn't work and has to borrow a drill. And yeah. it's it's like pulling your hair out. But the schmo sometimes it's better than the pro. Now there's some jobs you got to use the pro, right? You know, that's the life safety stuff, trimming trees, installing homes, you know, pushing snow, even I make to do a pro, but just uh, painting a mobile home. I don't care if the guy lives at 
number 22 and shows up at 1030. Yeah. Just painting them all. That's right. Yeah. And you got to recognize that like exactly what you just said. I mean, you know, he shows up at 1030, but maybe he'll work till 830 or something like that because you're, you're paying him for the, for the job too. So, um, and then you got to know obviously how long it takes to do that, that type of job, just like a, you know, at an auto mechanic shop, they say it takes, you know, two hours to change out an alternator or something like that or whatever, you know, it's the same thing. You got to have enough knowledge and experience there to look and say, you know, it's going to take, um, you know, three days or four days to paint this trailer or whatever it is. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Speaking of painting trailers, we try to get out of the business of not owning the trailers. So <laughs> don't own trailers, then you don't have to worry about painting them. Uh, so yeah, I, I hear you. I'm, I'm more of a tenant owned model fan myself, but we own, we own a lot of trailers too, manufactured homes, I believe we call them. Um, but we paint a lot of homes, um, even tenant owned homes. We, we, we subsidize it as part of a park turnaround. So I just put it in my budget cost me about 500 paint and material and we tell the tenants um we pay 250 you pay 250 if you can't afford 250 we'll put 25 a month for 10 months on your invoice and i've painted it i don't even know how many 200 houses like that or actually probably more than that um and just it's a nice it, it's a it's a cost but you know when you buy a fixer upper park and with infill needs it's like it's hard to sell a home next door to the rust home but yep. if I paint the rust home, it's just a 1976 skyline. No big deal. Right. right. Um, yeah, we do the same thing. I've done it a lot with roofs also. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the, the mobile home, manufactured home, uh, it all starts with the roof. So, uh, you know, if your roof is bad, uh, everything else will go downhill incredibly quickly. So that's just one area that, you know, we don't. Um, I don't want to say we don't do roof patches, um, but it, they're few and far between if we do them, because if it's got, if it's got, you know, leak spots in two or three places, uh, you know, or even one or two places, generally speaking, uh, we'll go and put a new roof on it. We always do metal and we always strip it down to the decking. Um, I don't do this, you know, um, you know, furring strips or whatever over shingles. We want to see the decking. We want to inspect the decking. Uh, and then we want to put down metal on decking. So we always do metal. What's, why, why metal? I've, I've seen more and more of that lately. I've never put metal on. Um, some of them, there's one guy at my parks. There's a contractor that that's what he does for a living, and he's going around. It's, I love it. He's going around door to door, and people are paying him to put the metal on. But is what is the price difference um, compared to uh, asphalt shingle? Yeah, it's it's a little bit more. Um, I think you know it varies. Um, obviously, you know fuel prices and stuff like that kind of you know cause shingles to go up, and um, and and obviously there was a big swing you know during the uh, recession or the the uh, COVID stuff. Um, but typically, I think it's usually about twenty percent more. Um, but the thing is, is uh, you're in my experience, you're less likely to have leaks. You get a better install, um, cleaner uh, when you do metal, and it lasts longer. Um, it's easier to have, you know, leaks and error for, there's a lot more labor that goes in because on shingles, obviously you're installing every single individual shingle, whereas in metal, you're putting down a, what is a three foot section that runs the length of the, uh, from the ridge to the, um, you know, to the bottom of the roof there or whatever. So, um, you just, there's less room for error and, uh, anytime you can remove human error, you're going to be better off. Yeah. That's good. I was just curious. I guess we have one park where I have a, a manager that's a construction guy and, and he's big on metal. So he, he was able to get some used metal really cheap. So it's actually less cost and his yeah. crew's just doing it on all these houses as well. Um, so I've, I've started to see more metal. We just historically um, have not, I've not done a ton of roofs. Um, I probably, I'd probably patch and stuff you'd replace, <laughs> but 
this such yeah. is life. Um, what other what other tips or tricks you have? Any 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 special sauce you can share on you know either finding parks or in infilling parks or um, funding deals? Yeah. So the way we've, you know, we, I think I kind of mentioned this to you earlier, we bootstrapped, you know, our startup. So, you know, uh, originally it was myself and two army buddies. Um, uh, It's uh, two of us now. So two army buddies. And uh, uh, we just, you know, uh, we, we run um, a pretty tight ship um, and, you know, we're very involved in the day to day. Um, You know, nobody's sitting in an ivory tower. um, So we're, you know, I'll go out to the park. I visit, I try to visit each park, you know, um, at least, you know, twice a month. So, um, and, and we have some RV parks too, and those, those require a little bit more. We have a Jellystone RV park and, and we have another park that folks enter tube down the river. <clears throat> so, um, and those are a little bit more management intensive, a little bit kind of a different product set there. Um, I would, you know, encourage anyone that kind of feels that the mobile home and the RV thing are, are similar. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the RV requires a little bit more work, but that's okay. Um, you know, there's, it produces a little bit more cash also. Um, but the, uh, in terms of kind of the, the product that we, uh, we go for, you know, we, we look for things that, um, um, you know, typically they, they're under, uh, there's usually a lot of tenant, excuse me, a lot of, um, park owned homes that are usually abandoned homes. Um, and, uh, we will, we try to work with folks to, uh, create win-win situations. Uh, we just, we give away a lot of homes for free. Um, and so what we'll do is, is we'll, you know, if we buy a park and it's got, you know, a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, abandoned park owned homes in it, uh, we'll advertise those as handyman specials. Uh, we'll give them away. We have a, um, you know, a HRC that we call it's a home requirement or home requirements contract. And basically it line items out what the, uh, the, the new tenant is responsible for fixing prior to moving in. And then in addition to that, you know, that they can't move the home out of the park after they've, um, you know, uh, you know, immediately done the repair. So it's, it's kind of, a, we try to partner with folks. It's a, in our eyes, it's, it, we want to create a win-win situation. We want people that are invested in the park. We want tenants that, you know, feel that this is their home. This is an opportunity for them to build some equity. Um, and then at the same time, it's an opportunity for us to get a unit that's operational. Um, so it truly is uh, affordable housing. Um, the truest sense, I mean, people, you know, step into a home for, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. They can have a very nice home. Um, and that you just can't do that, you know, anywhere else, you know, and unfortunately the way our, our country is today, um, you know, housing is taking up such a, you know, a larger and larger percentage of people's income. And, uh, so I think that, and you know, this, the, the economy, uh, or excuse me, the, the way that our economy is moving, uh, there's just going to be more opportunities for people that are doing what we're doing. And it's, it's only going to continue to grow, uh, because of that percentage of, of uh, income that people spend for housing. So, yeah. Yeah. Good, good thoughts. I'm curious, you mentioned you drive your parks uh, twice a month. What kind of geographic footprint are these ends just for our audience to get a better feel? Cause if, if they're, you know, that's not practical for a lot of people, it's very practical for some. Yeah, that's a great question. So we're just in the Southeast um, right now we're in Alabama and Mississippi. Um, so <clears throat> we don't, um, I'm not the guy that's going to go buy a park in Oregon. Um, I saw a great deal with a nice portfolio that came up in Arizona. We'd love to buy it, but, but we're not, eventually we will be, 
um, you know, I, I see us, you know, growing to eventually 10,000 lots, you know, so, um, but, you know, right now we're in the Southeast, uh, we're in Alabama, Mississippi, we're, we've looked at a lot of deals in Florida, we've looked at deals in Louisiana, we'll continue to expand it. Uh, we're about a, everything that's within a three and a half to four hour radius. Um, so, you know, that allows us um, to continue to build the, the, the you know, corporate, um, you know, infrastructure that I need within our company to be able to, uh, to manage those assets. The other thing too is, is that, you know, I, I talked before about the construction uh, pieces and in, in integral port of what we do. Um, you know, if I buy a portfolio in Arizona, uh, my construction crew is not going to go out to Arizona. Um, I might be able to get my, you know, lead superintendent to go out there. That's going to cost me a lot more for him to go out there. Um, but, you know, things operate differently in Arizona than they do here. You know, and there's different permitting requirements and, you know, and different, um, you know, different construction requirements that they have. And uh, that's why we kind of stick with this, you know, an area where we can respond and I can have my construction crew can go over, you know, and rehab and turn around this park or that park. And it's everything that's within about a four hour radius. So. Okay. Well, great. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. Absolutely. Well, great stuff. I really appreciate it, Bryce. Where can, where can people reach out to you if they want to reach out to you after this episode? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can give me a call. I'll give you my phone number, uh, 505-440-1192. I'll throw it out one more time here, uh, 505-440-1192. Or you can hit me up on email. Um, our company website is calibermanagement.com. Uh, um, and I, my email address is uh, Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, at Caliber. That's with a K, K-A-L-I-B-E-R, management.com. So Bryce at calibermanagement.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Bryce. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.